Hello, and welcome to another episode of the TF Tuesday podcast. My name is Zill, and today I have a very special friend on with the podcast. So, Gabriel Moon, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm uh, Gabriel Moon, and I am a now I am a full time TF writer, and I have been so since the pandemic, which, as probably a lot of us have have had too much free time and I was able to take what I was doing kind of like part-time on the side and make it a full, full-time career. So it's very exciting. That's awesome. Have you found that it's been difficult to kind of write throughout the course of the pandemic? I actually kind of found it a lot easier just because I had so much free time and we were, everybody was home anyway. So it just, it kind of worked out well that a lot of time to focus, I guess. A lot of time to not a lot of other things going on. Um, maybe I worked a little bit too much, but that is what it is. <laughs> yeah, that is what it is, unfortunately. <laughs> so then I'm curious to hear a little bit more about you know your background and what kind of got you into transformation and particularly kind of set you on the path to doing writing as kind of your full-time job. So... I know, that, and my backstory is probably going to sound very familiar. Mm-hmm. Like I'm 35, and there's a lot of a lot of the guests that you've had on have been in that age range. So there's yep. like children of the 90s. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm going to start with cartoons. Um, I remember a lot of transformation sequences in cartoons like X Men, Spider Man, uh, Gargoyles is a huge one. Oh, yeah. uh, even like. I remember one from The Tick, which is kind of like a parody cartoon. There was like a dinosaur TF in one of the early episodes. I didn't do Street Sharks. I was a little bit... I guess I didn't have the channel. Yeah. I didn't do... Like, I didn't even see it until later. Wow. I know. Until... uh, Aladdin was a big one. Um, Oh, yeah. Yep. But I remember watching these and being, like, kind of afraid. But there was something, like, formative in that fear. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm afraid of this, but I still need to watch it. Like, there was still that desire to consume this material, even though it, like, kind of had that fear response. And it was the same with, like, some some early on movies. Like, I'm pretty sure I saw The Fly fairly early on, just, like, in the background while, like, my parents were watching it. That one scene from Star Trek First Contact, where Picard is dreaming about his time in the Borg Collective, and, like, he goes to the, the mirror, and, like, the implant burst out of his cheek. Like, that was fairly early on, I remember, before I became a fan of Star Trek. I'm going to bring up Goosebumps and Animorphs, because they were <laughs> extremely formative for my TF They're seminal. Yeah. They, they absolutely are. I was I was into Animorphs from, like, Scholastic Book Fair, like, right from the beginning. I read The Invasion, the first book, three times in one weekend. I was, I was hooked. Absolutely hooked. I remember you had a guest talking about uh, one of the Goosebump books. Uh, I think it was Calling All Creeps was the name of it. I, I yes, don't think, yes, it was. Yeah, I, d- I don't think you guys remembered the name of it, but I remember, and I watched the Goosebumps TV show as well, and you don't actually see a TF in the book, but you actually get a TF at the end of the episode. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's just like a brief, like a very brief face TF, but yeah, there's actually a, a TF in the end of the episode. But yeah, Animorphs was extremely formative. I reread the series kind of in my later teens. Just, it still kind of holds up. Especially, like, the whole... Like, like it's still obviously, like, geared for a younger audience. But, like, the themes still really hold up, I find. Mm-hmm. But 
I remember reading it like when I was a little bit older and just having like more feelings towards the TF and wanting to like consume the TF sequences. And I know Kay Applegate, uh, it was her and her husband who wrote most of the books. Yeah, Michael Grant. Can I just say as an aside that she seems like a wonderful person IRL? She is. You know, it's funny. I've seen this kind of go around before where it's like, you know, there's like the seminal authors of like our childhood and how some of them haven't turned out the way we thought they were. But Kay Applegate, she's a real one. She has a trans woman daughter and she's very loudly supportive of it. She was and always is anti-war, which I think is great. I mean, the books themselves are kind of a have a very strong anti-war yeah. message. Uh, she's very pro-abortion, yeah, because uh, she she yeah. had to have one. Yeah. She she posted a very passionate uh, article on Twitter, and that was like I, I read it, and I'm just like, one of your childhood heroes is an amazing person. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, I it makes me so happy, and, and you know, I I think that. This is a bit of a tangent, but it's fine. Um, you know, like I find that when you read those books, the messaging just sticks out in a way in retrospect that maybe it didn't when they were being read at the time in the 90s. Like, you know, we kind of focus on the things that are interesting to us. You know, like there's all the characters, they go through all these changes. Yes, there's the whole like classic like little guy versus like the big overarching big bad evil guy um with viscer three and the yurks and everything but if you actually like reread them now and you think about kind of the overall themes in the book series they're very much there like they are very uh thoughtful and well uh, handled and the books really hold up in a way that i think a lot of older pieces of media don't always and yeah i just I really love those books and not even just from a TF perspective, because like you can tell there was a lot of good uh, thought put into the whole like plotting and everything. But anyways, they are being and and not to like talk about animals for the whole episode, but uh, they are being brought back in graphic novel form. Yes. I, oh my gosh. I think the third one, uh, unfortunately, it seems like every year, which considering there's 54 books, it's kind of maybe that's not uh, feasible. And I don't think they had a contract beyond the third graphic novel but the third one is coming out this fall yes i've read the first two and they are excellent and honestly the art in them really captures the kind of midpoint weird look of like tf in a really interesting way because i i can't really tell if the artist who's doing it is like into quote-unquote tf but like the way they handle it is very accurate to the source material and i really appreciate that yeah yeah so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to pick up picking up book three in a few months. But yeah, sorry, you were saying about your uh, oh, no formative interests. Um, <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, and, and Goosebumps too. Like, but like the Choose Your Own Adventure, um, there was one I remember, Alone in Snakebite Canyon was the name of it. And like one of the main story point, points in that is the you as the main character pick up a pair of snake eyes and they each glow with the form of an animal and you would rub them and turn into that animal and it's basically the the plot of that is like your misadventures turning into the wrong animal and i remember those being really that being a really uh formative one and of course the werewolves like absolutely there were some really good uh arlstein werewolves arlstein seems like a pretty I, I haven't heard as much about him, but he seems pretty chill, as far as I know. Yeah, I am convinced he is a TF fan himself, and also, yeah, he just seems very private as a person, which is totally fine. No, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> In some senses, it's almost like, well, 
I don't know what he thinks about anything, and maybe that's a good thing. I have yeah, no idea. No, so. Absolutely. It's just like, ignorance Ignorance really is bliss. Yes, yes. So th- that was sort of my childhood. Like, I was basically hungry for any werewolf material I could find. Pardon the pun. Anything I could get my hands on, I read. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything that particularly stood out. Oh, there was a Dean Koontz book. Um, I can't think of the name of it, but... Basically, it was centered around a town that had been part of an experiment to eliminate human emotion uh, through some sort of nanotechnology. And basically, that nanotechnology allowed you to alter your body willfully. So some people, in order to regain their sense of self, would turn themselves into animals like wolves and and run around and yet they would they would fuck essentially and sort of do their thing uh but then they got kind of stuck as one does they eventually like some people got stuck in the forms uh there's kind of there's like some merger and some kind of like goo type tfs like people would dissolve and merge into this like one being that comes out at the end of the story i don't want to spoil too much of it but there is yeah yeah there's an alien tf like like a xenomorph tf there's uh a merger with a computer like there's a lot of really cool concepts in that uh that was one i read early on i cannot think of the name of it was it the moonlight base series no it wasn't a series it was a solo oh it was a solo book okay then i don't know yeah other than it was it was coons uh i think my real for for ADTF, uh, I was in a kind of bad place in my life, and I figured, what the, what the hell, I'll Google werewolves. I checked out werewolves on Wikipedia, uh, I checked out, I, that led me to Transformation, that led me to uh, the Transformation Story Archive, this was in 2005. Yeah, I was I was eighteen. I, I'm actually like probably the only person who like found their porn actually as an adult, religious upbringing. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, uh... that's that's totally fair and understandable. You know, yeah. I I feel like there is there's actually a sizable number of people I think who went through that and just it's not really talked about. I think a lot of people like there is a bit of a bias in terms of the folks who in some ways mastered the internet mastered it early on and so you hear more about those stories versus the people who came into it later but i think there's lots of people who probably also didn't discover the porn element until they were adults and that is totally understandable yeah like there was definitely some like interest when i was younger but like i never acted on it until like i was 18 and then i like i started reading all of these various stories on the tsa and there were a few that were really formative um and i'll get into those a little bit because they're more relevant to one of the topics that I know we're going to get into. But yeah, that was kind of like my foray. Um, I remember finding the, uh, what's the name of the website? Uh, Transfer. I remember finding uh, that Transfer. early on. Um, I found artists like Arinia, Foxy. They were early, very early sort of pioneers for that. It was quite a few years since I actually got into Fur Affinity. I like a lot of your guests, uh, I, I was a Transformation fan before I was a furry. Uh, it wasn't until my I moved to Ontario and in 2012 and met my partner that we kind of got into the furry scene. And I'm like, this has a certain appeal to it. And then I eventually created like an account on Fur Affinity. And, and, and I guess the rest is history. Like I kind of got into checking out different, different media. And eventually I... I read a lot of, I consumed a lot of written media. Doc's Lab was another one that I checked out fairly early on. And eventually I kind of looked at it and was like, there's something missing. 
what can I add? Is what I have to add worth it? Should I give it a shot? And it took forever. Like, I didn't start writing until 2017. And it was my partner that kind of pushed me to to write. They'd been pushing me for a number of years. I had a little bit of a background writing in... It's, it's funny, too. I was actually, uh, for my high school yearbook, I was voted most likely to write my own novel. <laughs> uh, I don't think they uh, necessarily suspected erotic TF, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it happened. At the end of the day, it, exactly. it, a win's a win, you know? <laughs> Pretty much. And like I did, uh, my background is actually science biology um, for, for my education, which again, I'll get into for another one of your questions coming up. But uh, but yeah, I had like a little bit of like creative writing and there's definitely a lot of scientific writing and there's clearly a huge difference. Although again, I kind of blend those into my writing to a certain degree, I think. But uh, but yeah, no, I, uh, I, I took off and... I eventually started getting requests and I took them. Like you start out with your own ideas and and you write and then basically what you want to write and you put that out there and, you know, people see that and, you know, they request things and eventually, you know, commission offers come up and again, the rest is history. Yeah, exactly. So I, th- I think that's a pretty, pretty good rundown of my, my TF career. And yeah, no, I, I think so. And, you know, then I guess my, my follow-up question to that is like, and I just love the wording of this, like, you know, like every TF fan has a tragic villain backstory. So what's yours? Like, was there something specific that happened that really pushed you into writing outside of, you know, like your partner's encouragement and kind of seeing that there was a niche that wasn't being filled? Was there anything else there that really made you think, this is what I want to do? And particularly now that you kind of do it full time, like I could see myself doing this for a long period of time i guess um fulfillment feedback uh i realized that i was like people really liked my work like i was enjoying writing it but also i got a lot of good feedback like a lot of people were really interested especially when i started getting requests and that and i started like meeting a few a few friends through tf and like started like rping tf and that sort of thing which i don't really do too much anymore just with like close friends but yeah like the more positive feedback I got the more encouraged I was to write um so I guess that's kind of the opposite of the tragic villain backstory um (laughs) (laughs) no it still (laughs) worked but yeah no um I guess for me and I I want to talk about this a little bit further on but TF has always been about escapism for me and just that ability to and like the first few stories I've written were more about that escapism aspect and you know what would it be like to leave all of the stressors behind in a way that only turning into an animal and having that animal's mind would be able to give you like without those human, the, the more negative aspects of humanity, I'll, I'll say like what, uh, like grappling with the cosmic questions of existence. Exactly. And grappling with like mental illness and like questions like, am I good enough? What am I doing? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, the cosmic questions of being human. It's like, what if you could escape that even for a brief bit of time? What would that be like? No, absolutely. Yeah, I think that a lot of people find an appeal in that because sometimes 
the world is just everything is happening everywhere all at once at the same time always and <laughs> it can be a lot and there is definitely an appeal i think from an escapism lens within the realm of particularly uh, feral animal ts because then you don't have to deal with that you can just vibe in a field or wherever right so i, I definitely think that makes sense to me yeah no absolutely so then, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in terms of your writing is that, and it, this is kind of a, a through line throughout all of your work, you often use transformation as an expression for facets of sexual orientation that can often be demeaned socially. So in particular, you know, there's a trope that I've noticed you've used in a lot of pieces where you have the changing sexual orientation from straight to gay. So I was curious to know what kind of led you to focus on this trope in terms of some of your stories, particularly the ones that haven't been commissions, but have been ones that you wrote for your own personal kind of enjoyment. So for me, I came out very late in life or later. I was very sexually repressed. Uh, religion had a lot to do with it. I did not have the best childhood and I won't get into that. Like I'm, I'm sure a lot of us in the TF fandom can, can relate, but you know, like not the best parents, bullied at school. I experienced a lot of homophobic slurs, even though I did not know I was gay at the time. And that sort of led me to a lot of sexual repression and sexuality repression. Um, like I thought I, I had to be interested in women, like absolutely had to be interested in women. So, and they even tried having a few girlfriends here and there and it just, it wasn't working out and I didn't know why. So it was actually kind of a bit later into my mid-twenties when I was with my partner. My partner, for uh, for reference, is asexual. So we, like, we sort of had, like, an ongoing agreement. Like, hey, you know, if we date, you're totally fine to have physical relations with other people. Just let me know. And that didn't feel right to me until they're like, hey, maybe you like men. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then then I got thinking about it and and within our furry group like you know a, I, I guess a, somebody stepped forward quote-unquote and I'm like you know this is this feels right like this works well so it was kind of like through my partner allowing me that exploration that I discovered my own sexuality and I guess that was something like really formative for me and it was something that I guess that's one of the elements that I didn't see a lot in TF. Like, that meant a lot to me to be able to s discover my own sexuality. So, like, looking back on everything, like, in my life, the whole straight-to-gay trope, I sort of write it in a sense where I'm turning it on its head. It's that allowment for wish fulfillment. Like, that, you know, the characters have that sort of unknown desire you know, to explore with the same sex. And, and I use men just because that's my own, like, I, I try to write within my, my own sphere of knowledge. Like, I, I'm sure there's definitely, I, I hope there's a lot more writers out there who write within their own spheres that encompass other elements of, like, other people's sexuality, especially, like, women or or non-binary gender-fluid individuals, because that representation definitely needs to be out there, too, and I, I hope if, if it's not there, you know, I hope somebody who has those experience steps up to the plate to write their experiences. Um, but, th but again, that's an aside. But yeah, like for me, it's just been the allowment of this being okay by 
writing these scenarios where the TF allows you to like part of your changing instincts, part of the change, the change in mentality, as well as, you know, the physical aspects allows you to do something that turns the head of the societal trope, especially, and it's gotten better now like like oh yeah absolutely it's gotten better but like when when i grew up it was absolutely unacceptable to be gay and like the few people i knew in my school who were gay and who are gay and i I still communicate with them now like they were they were really ostracized and they really had it hard and like part of me wishes i knew i was gay but i also wouldn't be able to express that until later in life anyway just from coming from a small town heavily religious but yeah, I think I, I like writing the the sort of allowment for that, where I use TF as the sort of the median for, oh, I have an excuse to be gay because these instincts are telling me to be gay. Oh, I actually like this now. Actually, the part that's still me, aside from the instincts, also likes this now that I've tried it. And I think that's something I really enjoy exploring. And, you know, I, I have to mention this as well like i think a lot of folks particularly the younger folks who weren't around for these times like the 90s and the aughts were not a great time to be gay unfortunately like being queer in those times or trans was not a good time (laughs) and the level of like things still aren't perfect they're definitely not even like necessarily great but the progress that has happened within the past like 15 20 years even I think has been almost like whiplash inducing in a good way because I remember going to school at a young age and I went through the the Catholic system in Ontario which is a whole other thing but I went through the Catholic system and yeah it's not great to be uh someone who doesn't fully understand their own identity from either a, a sexual or gender perspective and kind of have to go through that education and be told certain things and then have to kind of unlearn and unpack that kind of self-hatred that conformant later on in life yeah so i think it's really interesting that you've kind of leveraged in a way all of those experiences that you had and you've put them into your writing to flip them on their head and to also kind of it sounds like work a few things out for yourself too. Would you say that's correct? I would definitely say that's correct. There were a few stories and I alluded to this earlier, but there were a few stories like on the TSA that were heavily gay themed. And there were a few on docs lab that were heavily gay themed. And I remember reading them. Uh, one was by, oh, I can't remember their name. Um, it was called ass. And it was where two people are cursed by a witch at a, at a fair and they go to a cabin and they start turning into donkeys but first they start essentially having sex with each other and getting like urges with each other and like throughout the course of the story they like slowly turn into donkeys the more that they fuck and that was one that really stuck out in my mind because uh dogwood was the was the author and they unfortunately seemed to have dropped off the face of the earth uh unfortunately because they had unfortunately yeah they had a lot of really cool themes that a lot of really good straight to gay themes and i think that was one of the influences but yeah that was one i read and i'm like it really interested me and i remember reading it over and over and i felt a lot of guilt with that because i'm like i kept telling myself i'm just reading it to the tf i'm reading it for the humiliation but really the the straight to gay aspect was doing it for me um there was another one on the tsa called a marked man and there's oh, yeah. some I've read yeah that there's one. some interspecies there but uh it was essentially a guy being punished by a pack of sentient wolves 
or Wyvern, I think they call themselves, sort of fucked into the pack, quite literally, and part of the process, uh, he really gets into it. Yes. And th- and there's that aspect where he's like, oh no, you know, this can't be happening, but at the same time, wow, now I'm aroused by what's going on, and is eventually turned into one of the, one of the wolves, and joins the pack and welcomes not only the change in species, but the change in sexuality. Because all of the wolves are essentially gay. Like, they, yes. they're very gay and they're very uh, open about essentially orgies and, and that sort of thing. So that was another one. I convinced myself it was because of the TF I liked it, but really it was the gay aspect. And I felt yeah, a lot of guilt that makes for that for a few years. Um, mm-hmm. But it was one, like, when I started writing... And after I explored the escapism aspect of TF, I really got to thinking, you know, the straight to gay thing, like there's not as much representation as I would like. I need to put that out there. And a lot of my early straight to gay works were RPs with like friends and my now boyfriend. Uh, I'm Polly, by the way, I should probably specify. I have a I have a non-binary partner I live with and I have a boyfriend that lives in the U.S., so a lot of the um a lot of the stories that I've written kind of for myself are based on the RPs with my boyfriend, my now boyfriend. And we both kind of explore that straight to gay aspect. We we explored that together and it just ended up really working out well for a dynamic that translates to like other other aspects of sexuality as well. You know, I, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that it was once you kind of found another person that was also into it that you were able to kind of explore it to degree like in like personal rps because i know that as someone who also wasn't sure where they were at first and you know formally was like very much heavily in the like male male sphere i find it interesting that the topic seems to come up quite a bit i find not in like stories but in like personal rps because i had a lot of experience when i was starting to get into the tf community of having like RPs and people would specifically say, oh, like I want my character that we're, you know, we're doing this RP. I want them to be straight at first so that then they become gay through the portion of the TF. And that wasn't like, that wasn't what I would do with my character, but I noticed that it would come up a lot. And whenever I have then seen it in stories and it doesn't come up often, so hence why I'm asking about it coming up in your work, you know, whenever it does come off, it makes me think about that. And I think about, you know, the struggles that a lot of queer men have in terms of coming to terms with their sexuality and then kind of working that out in a way through transformation media, be it through like personal role-playing, reading stories, or something else like that. And I just, I guess I I find it interesting that I don't see it more in written stories because I know for a fact that those role-play things are happening and that trope does come up quite a bit. Yeah, there was definitely... I definitely found it lacking. Like there were a few stories that I'd mentioned, but like there, there weren't really a lot of other media out there. And I'm glad to, I take a lot of pride in being able to provide that media. I have gotten a few comments from people being like, Hey, I didn't quite think I was gay, but Oh, I read your story. And these are like people in their like early twenties, like kind of where I was. And I, I mean, like, again, I, I welcome, anybody who reads any story that I write and be like, this does something for their like sexuality or gender orientation. I write within the sphere that I know because I, I strongly feel that because I'm, I'm cisgender. Like I feel like I don't have a place to tell those stories, but I still hope that regardless of somebody's 
sexuality or gender identification if they get something out of my stories where they're just like oh this is this character allowed to experience this you know maybe i could like i take a lot of personal pride in that like i welcome the ability to guide somebody else through their own journey through my work and i've gotten a a little bit of feedback on that subject and that means a lot to me Yeah. And, you know, I will say that as someone who has wrestled with their gender identity, like the pieces of media and the things that I took into account as I kind of wrestled with with that, oftentimes were not explicitly written about, you know, someone wrestling with their gender identity. You can see a lot of analogies in different pieces of Mm -hmm. work. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, it may have been an awakening on those axes, even though that wasn't necessarily what you were writing about or thinking about when you were writing it. You know, people, and I I speak from personal experience, but I also speak just from hearing other people say this, you know, people will look for representation, but sometimes they will find it in the strangest of places. And it's kind of wild to think that like, you know, oh yes, I'm looking for TF porn. And also, hmm, maybe I'm questioning whether or not I am a man. Like that seems very off the wall. And like, it's like, why would you go to TF porn to look for that? But people do, and it it can be really illuminating. And so I guess, you know, as part of this long tangent, I guess my kind of follow-up question there is, were there any other like kind of surprising things that you discovered about yourself because of, you know, going through this queer awakening in terms of engaging with TF media? I actually have a disappointing answer. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, just to, to, to put it bluntly, it was really like, like I have a lot of uh, people very close to me who are non-binary, who have explored aspects of the gender identity and that didn't sit well with me personally. Um, I'm, I'm comfortable with my own gender. Um, I, it was really just the sexuality, like the interest in other men that really resonated for me. Um, like there have been specific interests in terms of TF that have come up, but in terms of my own identity, um, it it was just the awakening of me being gay that really, uh, that really stuck out. But uh, like I said, I, I absolutely welcome. Um, and if people are able to find aspects of their own gender identity within their journey in my work, I, I'm absolutely elated to, to hear that and to know that. But I know that isn't something, again, it's not something I write because it's not something within my personal uh, sphere of experience. But I, I do write some TFTGs as I actually write quite a number of them on commission, but uh that that was the next thing I was going to mention, actually, because <laughs> I was going to say I've seen I've seen you explore gender changes in your work. Obviously, like you said, more more on like the commission side, and I feel like you do a good job handling it. So that's why I was curious as to whether or not you had discovered anything else. But also, you know, I think that in terms of what you just said, like, and uh, this isn't shade at anyone. I I mean this in a loving way. Like a lot of cis people don't think about their gender identity at Mm -hmm. all. So the fact that you even have thought about it, I think is really, really good. And like, if you feel comfortable with it, that's a good thing. Like, you know, that's what everyone, everyone should feel comfortable within whatever gender identity they have. So the fact that you've been able to kind of write within these topics and, you know, still have like this very strong sense of where you feel comfortable from, from a gender perspective, I think is a really good sign. And just like the understanding that there are multiple options for gender identity. There are, yeah, yeah, there are dozens, dozens, if not hundreds of different like expressions and different ways that, that are all within the realm of human experience. Mm-hmm. And it's an absolutely wonderful thing that should be celebrated. Like, absolutely. Yeah. 
because it's all we're all human at the end of the day and unfortunately <laughs> but uh but yeah no it's it's definitely like it, it's it's a wonderful like exploring yourself and being on that journey is really a wonderful thing and it should be celebrated and it really sucks that it isn't in a lot of places yeah and i i hope things get better i really do too and then i guess you know like kind of my last question then on this kind of area is then given that it's not your own personal experience generally when you do write the pieces that touch on gender changes do you ever struggle with any aspects of writing them or does it come still naturally even if it's not necessarily your area of expertise i got some feedback from some people who are more knowledgeable about these sorts of things than i am so i've just sort of used those lessons to kind of formulate how i write um i have a lot of experience with like anatomy and i'll get into that a little bit later i think but uh like the anatomical changes aren't too difficult for me to write and i strongly feel that the people asking commissioning me would find this as an elating experience so i try to write from that standpoint it's either elating as in they like it immediately or it's humiliating but they end up liking it anyway and that's another sort of head turn or another like 360 where the humiliation aspect allows you to explore the enjoyment of it through sort of through that wheel turn. No, I get what you mean. And I think it's interesting you phrase that because, you know, I've noticed in terms of your writing, you do tend to try to tackle some other taboos that are kind of outside of just sexual orientation. And, you know, in particular, I've noticed that you've broached particularly taboo topics and situations that are not limited to, but include things like, you know, upside down TF, um, body horror, defecation, urination, humiliation, all that kind of stuff. So I was curious to ask you a little bit more as to what the impetus was towards examining those scenarios within the context of TF. Well, I need to break those down a little bit because uh, there's different um, there's different facets of why I write, why I delve into those topics. Looking at, I'll, I'll take um, the the bodily functions and the humiliation. I'll kind of categorize that into the same where it's the humiliation aspect allows the reader to enjoy what's going on by being humiliated. If that makes sense, I feel like, especially like the bodily function stuff. Like I feel it's it's all par for the course of like post TF. First of all, like if you're an animal, like your physiology is fundamentally different. And you had a wonderful guest on, I think it was episode four. Uh, their knowledge of anatomy is far superior to mine. Um, but they were talking about, you know, like, like horses have a massive cecum. So they're like more gassy. Um, so it's like, it's just like a facet of your body is different. Your bodily functions are going to be different. And there's that like exploration of, you know, this is biological fact. Um, so there's like that. And then there's also the humiliation aspect. It's like it allows a lens for you to look at something that you quote unquote societally shouldn't like, but it, it gives you a lens to look at that in a way that allows you to like it where you're being embarrassed of it, but it still has to happen. Yeah, exactly. So I like to kind of explore that through that uh, through that outlook. Like it is something that you know, some people might enjoy, some people might like enjoy having like those differences in physiology. For some people, it might be freeing, you know, like your, your bovines, your equines, like they're very sort of 
free with their bodily functions. Yeah, they just go. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like that that might be freeing for some people, but that also might be embarrassing. So bringing that up in a humiliating setting where you're like TFing and like you, you just need to go uh, and you're being shamed for it, it, it allows people to like enjoy those things, even if they're a little bit embarrassed of them. And I feel that's that's kind of like where I'm coming at it from. And that's the same. I, I guess that pretty much covers the humiliation aspect too. Like any kind of humiliation allows you to, it gives you an excuse to like something where societally, you know, you're taught not to like it, or you might have a trepidation in order to like it. The body horror comes from my love of horror in general. I consume a lot of like horror literature. Like these days it's through like uh, podcasts, but there's like a lot of amazing horror writers out there. And it's that fear aspect like fear of the unknown fear of these horrific things that you would never want to happen to you but they're kind of cool to explore once you get past that fear so i do like i don't write enough body horror for my interests i would love to write more but it's not something i'm commissioned on very often you know when i open next maybe maybe i'll take some more body horror Hint, hint. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it is something I, I do like to explore from that, like, sort of like that horror, that fear aspect where, you know, these things are, I, I guess it does kind of tie into the humiliation. Like, it's like, it's exploring something that is taboo through that lens of this is horrible. I would never want this to happen to me. But what if? Right. Yeah. It's like almost giving yourself permission to indulge in something that maybe you shouldn't. Exactly. And yeah, I, I guess that does kind of summarize the entire uh, repertoire of, of all of that. And Upside Down TF is another one that I would love to write more from an anatomical standpoint. That is like, it's really interesting. But I was only commissioned the once. And it's not for like, that sort of thing is not for everybody. Like that was a friend who commissioned me. Uh, I wasn't sure I was going to post it originally. I've gotten some odd requests, and I won't get into what they were. They were within my, my sphere of morality. Like, I wouldn't write anything that I was not comfortable with. But there are certain things I don't want to be known for. Because I'm not interested in those things. But I'm also a horror that will take people's money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, girl, same. I'm the same way. So yeah. I'm like, yeah. It's <laughs> no, but like, so long as it doesn't go against my spectrum of morality, so long as it's not hurting anybody, it's like something like there are a few, like, I don't want to be known for those things, but it is something that I will consider exploring if people, and I, I generally charge a little bit more, but uh, it's not something I want to be known for. It's not within my sphere of interests. So it's not something I'll typically like post. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that particularly when it comes to some of these other ones that you have kind of posted, I think that, and I'll use Upside Down TF as kind of the example here because I am a big fan of it. But yeah, it's not for everyone. And I think that with that one, there is a unique kind of marriage between what you described for the body horror and what you described for the autonomous, you know, bodily functions, all kind of in one. It's kind of like the ultimate of those two. And I obviously I know that it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And there's definitely artists who will do it. And then we'll be like, I don't want to post this. Because <laughs> again, I don't want to be known as that person. And to be clear, there are artists out there who it is their thing. And like, hats off to them, because they're out here doing, you know, 
they're doing great, amazing work. But yeah, I totally get not wanting to necessarily being known as like the person to do those things, because I guess, and maybe this is a kind of something I can turn back to you, like, do you feel like it almost boxes you in a little bit? Like if you get become known as like the person who will engage with these taboos, do you worry that you will be kind of like cordoned off and only get requests in that area in terms of commissions? There's certain aspects I'm worried about, but like certain things I'm like down to explore a little bit more, like the upside down. And I th- I'm pretty sure I did some cock TF in that same story, but like I'm down to explore that a little bit more, but like I don't want to necessarily be known for it. Yes. But then again, ultimately at the end of the day, I'm in control of what I post. So I'm able to look at my, when I'm posting objectively and be like, if I want to do a little bit of a, an upside down TF as a treat, I can like, (laughs) (laughs) I can like, I can, I can post a little bit. If I get more commissions for it and I feel like it's a little bit too much, then I don't have to post them all. And I make that clear with my commissioners as well. So I feel that sort of the percentage of what I do gets represented like i love doing straight to gay i love doing sort of were creatures male male were creatures um i love doing barnyard animals i love doing donkeys i love doing horses so i feel that that makes up a significant percentage of my um my library so like people will look and be like hey this is the guy who really likes to do donkey tfs like i i hope you know that comes across it comes across more on my patreon actually just because i tend to attract a lot of people who really like that and i like the like my patreon like i try to do a monthly story within like for my patrons and it's mostly like public opinion like i try to i'll have a bunch of ideas i'll let people vote on them the donkey ones generally win so i have a lot of (laughs) which i'm totally fine with i love exploring straight to gay donkey stuff it's so fun to write it never gets old like pleasure island it's a trope for a reason it is and i'm i'm extremely happy with like all of the donkey stuff i've written and again some people are like oh man i love your donkey stuff i want to call me for donkey stuff and that comes up but like i try to but anyway to sort of circle back to what we're talking about like i try to make sure that my gallery is percentage wise is indicative of what i like to write in terms of like what I take on for commissions, like it tends to be a, a certain percentage of what I like to write as well. Like I have people who are like dedicated to particular aspects of like the body horror or even like the not necessarily body horror, but like what would it be like to be a bug? What would it be like to be this, even though it's like horrific to transform into like what are the senses like? What is it like to be this creature? And, like, some people really like that. So I try to, like, make that a subset of my work. Because, like, there are other people who will see that and be like, hey, this is new. This is different. Oh, this might awaken something in me. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that. Because I've noticed, of course, this also extends to species as well. Like, you've keyed into a very varied selection of species. And that includes things like, you said, insects, slugs, fish, some aliens, I was curious to know, like, how do you approach stories that are focused on less common species? Like, is there a particular way you try to go about writing them to make them, like, more appealing? So that one comes twofold. I have a master's in in biology, behavioral studies, but that's besides the point. I have taken a lot of anatomy courses for various invertebrates and vertebrates, and I have also, in my master's, have taught it. So I'm very well-versed in the anatomy of, like, tons of different phylum of animals, essentially. And 
I like to, first of all, I like to draw on those skills. Like, it doesn't take very much to, obviously, I don't do it every day. Like, like again, you had a, uh, a guest in episode four of this season who does that exclusively. And, like, their, their anatomic knowledge is, like, leagues beyond mine. It doesn't take much to, like, refresh that information. And I like to use it. Like, it's really cool to, like, write a an obscure species and be like, oh, these are the body parts. And this is how the, this like, the legs of the slug, for example. Like, your legs would be gone, but, like, your respiratory system, you know, goes through your skin. And you have, like, the internal shell, like, the cochlea. And, like, there's just... There's, like, so many really neat things to explore from an anatomical TF perspective. And there's also the the sensory aspect. It's like, what would it be like to be this animal based on the senses? How would they differ from ours? What are those people who are in my stories who are being TF experience? No, I think that makes sense. And, you know, I think that that comes through in the writing that you do. I think that it really does key into what the mindset would be and also like the description of the anatomical changes I think really comes through like you clearly have done your research when you're doing and describing these changes which I think really adds to the overall believability of the story because you know there's always an element of suspending your disbelief when you're reading a TF story and you know exactly you know if you don't describe things properly it can it can stick out like a sore thumb so I think that being able to speak from that kind of educated or like knowledgeable lens i think it it really does enhance the writing itself i never want to get a comment from somebody who knows more than i do being like you did this (laughs) wrong so i like i I strive to research so i will not get that comment yes and again because i have that background it's like it's not it doesn't take much for me to like refresh on like those anatomical aspects but like i never want to like get the comment you did the anatomy wrong i'd be like damn it i didn't do enough research but uh but yeah that's what i i try to go in like i i try to go in looking through that lens of somebody who knows more than i do and like trying to make it as close as i can as possible so that i don't uh, so that i wouldn't upset an expert in the field who's also in the tf so then you know in terms of like you know we've talked about the less common species we've talked about the taboos how has those stories that touch on the more taboo topics gone over with your audience like have they generally been supportive or have you received any pushback towards including some of the taboo topics or the less common species that we've talked about here into your stories like do you find those stories underperform from a metric standpoint or is there still an audience for them and I guess I'm curious to know what the response has been from people who have engaged with it and reached out to you to talk about them. Well, first of all, they do underperform from a metric standpoint, because I do try to like keep track of like what stories are getting the most attention. You're able to do that in FA. But ultimately, I feel that there's a niche for them. There are certain people who love them, who want more of them. It's a smaller subset of TF fans, to be sure, but it's also a smaller subset of my work. So I feel that it's representative of the amount that I do that people enjoy them. A funny story, I actually got some pushback on Straight to Gay on my Patreon. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> uh, I actually got somebody who was like, hey, you write amazing insect stuff, but uh, you do too much Straight to Gay and I can't support you anymore. <laughs> so it's like oh, interesting i know right it's just like maybe you didn't quite look at what i do yeah i was gonna say if, you, <laughs> if you're on the patreon and you didn't know that that was what you were writing i'm 
questioning whether or not you actually read your stuff in advance. Like, it's pretty evident. Yeah. But, like, I largely feel that, like, people will read what they're interested in, and they'll avoid what they don't like. And I try to make it, like, pretty clear with, like, my my icons that I've been making for my uh, my FA, like, what to expect. So, like, if you're not going to like a certain species, or you're not going to like a certain topic, I hope to make it clear what that species and what that topic would be, so you can avoid it if that's not your thing. But uh, I have found that there are certain some of these topics kind of awaken something in some people where it's like oh i didn't think i mean i've gotten some feedback on that as well it's like i wouldn't think i'd like a slug tf but i read your slug tf and i'm like oh this is this was surprisingly good i actually had a self-awakening um i wrote a giant moth tf recently okay and i'm like i was writing it and i'm like i'm probably not gonna like this and i'm reading like the person uh, who commissioned me wrote a very detailed description of what they wanted like extremely like it was a 50 point thing about what they wanted which wow yeah and again it that comes with commissions like some people will give a very general and they're just like yeah you write how i really like so i'm just going to give you free reign and some people are like i want this 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 and i'm kind of fine with either to be honest like i aim to please and if somebody wants to give me a 50 point bulletin i make sure those 50 points are in the story and i know they're going to be happy with it well, at least I hope they would be happy with it if yeah. I include this 50. <laughs> yeah, I hope they're happy with it. <laughs> I feel fairly confident that they would be happy with it. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the whole, like, the the person being cocooned and turning into a moth with another cocoon, I'm like, that kind of awakens something in me. I'm like, oh, I'm into this. <laughs> it's very cool. Like, yeah. just the biological process itself is really cool. So incorporating that into a TF, in my opinion, is very cool. Yeah. No, absolutely. I like to, I, I like to draw on, it, it's like, life is kind of funny in terms of like what we do and what we end up doing. Like you never know what particular aspects of what you're doing now will mean something five years, 10 years down the road. Like, I feel I've been able to incorporate most facets of my life into my writing somewhere. And it kind of gives it all meaning. It's something that I, I Again, I take a, a lot of pride in, like, I'm, I'm somebody with, like, like severe depression and anxiety. I, I'm medicated for it. And, and life did not go the way I had planned, as, as it has for many people, especially with the whole promise of the, the fake dream of, oh, you can just go to university and get a job. Like, that has long since fallen by the wayside. But, like, the fact that I'm able to take my biology degree and write anatomical tfs that people really enjoy and get paid for it it just kind of brings meaning to everything it's really it's it's really fulfilling yeah it's kind of in a way it's almost like ah, oh, the universe does kind of have a funny sense of humor sometimes yeah and this is one of those cases yeah no absolutely <laughs> yeah no i think um i think that's a really good point and i guess my last kind of question on this point and i guess i kind of touched on this but to kind of circle back to it when it comes to these kinds of stories that are touching on these taboos or these lesser commonly used species do you feel like they have an appeal that doesn't need to reach a broader audience or do you think that when you're writing those stories you are trying to at least reach more people and bring them into those kinds of interests I've gotten some feedback from people that have said, like, hey, I'm not normally into the, this kind of TF, but you wrote it so well. And I feel that's kind of where I'm going with it. Like, I try to write it as good as I can for the people who like it. I'm not necessarily aiming to draw in new people, but if I do, that's a bonus. Because it's not it's not going to appeal to everybody. Like, these are very, 
like more obscure TFs. And if I, I, I try to write the best I can, and I, I do that with every every piece I write. I, I do my best to try to bring the piece to life. And at least I know a lot of people are enjoying the pieces for the writing, if not the TF itself. They're like, hey, I'm not into Cockroach TF, but this piece was written really well. So I could at le- least enjoy it from that perspective. And I've gotten that feedback a few times too. And at the end of the day, that's all I can aim for. I think that makes sense. I think doing your best job, but also like casting the net to be as wide as possible for everyone who has an open mind towards it, I think is a good approach. And if you're satisfying, at the very least, the people who are really into it, and then allowing room for people who might not be into it, but are curious to at least enjoy the writing, I think that's a good balance. Nice. So then, you know, one of the things that I did want to also ask, and we've kind of like touched on this at various points throughout this conversation like you have a very impressive output as a full-time writer your gallery is is filled to the brim with tf stories they come out very regularly i know you produce content for patreon as well so you know you you write quite a bit and so i was curious to know how you tackle the writing process so that you can have such proclivity because i know that for a number of people it can be difficult to get into the groove let alone be as productive as often you are so like how do you tackle that process overall childhood trauma (laughs) (laughs) no um (laughs) it can help in some cases i do feel that (laughs) in different ways i do feel that Uh, but uh but no i i do in in serious well i guess the childhood trauma is kind of serious it's kind of dark but serious but i also try to approach it from the standpoint that i'm working a full-time job so like i try to like Like, my partner who I live with works a full-time job, so we get up at the same time, thereabouts. Like, they'll go to their job, and I'll, like, walk downtown, I'll get my coffee, I'll come back, I'll sit and work for five to six hours, I'll get up and take breaks intermittently, and I get, I have, like, a certain goal, I'll assign various goals as tasks. So, like, maybe one task is write a thousand words in the story, maybe one task is edit a seven thousand word document. And, like, I'll set a, a goal where I, like, achieve three to five tasks in a day. And, like, they might take, like, each task might take an hour, depending on my productivity. Um, and depending on, like, how I'm feeling that particular day. Um, but, yeah, I, I treat it like a full-time job and I break down individual pieces. Um, I generally work on multiple stories at once. So that if I feel a little bit burnt out on one story, I my energy might go better to another story which i guess using the restaurant model might not be the best thing for some clients because i might end up feeling more motivated to write a story and it's like if you're in a restaurant and you see that table come in after you and they get their food first and you're just like why didn't my food come out and that's another huge thing about what i do as a business i am very and i've gotten this feedback from people too i'm very communicative i'm very up on I'm always refreshing my socials. I probably should stay <laughs> off my socials more, but again, my socials are my work. So like if anybody messages me at any time of day, I will see it immediately. I feel that. Like you messaged me about the podcast at like two in the morning and I woke up and saw that and answers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I woke you up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you didn't wake me up. I just happened to wake up and see that message. And I'm just like, I'm going to answer immediately. 
good. Okay, because I, I am a bit of a gremlin, unfortunately, when no it comes worries. to my hours. So anyway, that's but, another story. Yeah, but I try to I try to respond as quickly as I can. I try to deal with issues as soon as they come up. But yeah, I guess essentially just treating it as a full-time job, working where I can to keep that productivity up, even if I'm like stuck on one story, even if I have like writer's block in one story, I'm at least writing in another story and able to come back and divvying up a story into pieces helps. And like, maybe I can't write this full story, but I can write 500 words on it today. And maybe tomorrow I can write another 500 words. And it's still, it eventually comes out in the end. I was out, uh, I was out east on a vacation to see family and I, on a plane ride home, I wrote like 7,000 words to a werewolf TF because I was like super into the idea. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that just kind of happens. And, and this is the nice thing about being a writer and having everything on Google Docs is I can technically work from anywhere just on my phone. Like the phone is not the most preferable media to write on, but I mean, it's still, it's like, hey, if I'm able to write like, and that's another thing with productivity too, I'm always writing. I'm writing right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't fault you if you were, but I no. appreciate that. <laughs> but that's kind of the joke. Like even in my hobbies, if there's like a Darren point, because I, I play a lot of trading card games as, as a hobby. And even if there's like a, if there's like 10 minutes in a round, I'm on my phone writing a couple hundred words. So it's like, I'm always writing, but I'm trying not to write too much because I don't want to burn out because I have burnt out and that sucks. And that just slows down the whole process. Mm -hmm. And that was honestly going to be my next question, because, you know, like burnout and in particular writer's block can be a big deal for a lot of people. I know that back when I still indulged from time to time in writing, I would hit writer's block and not know what to do. So I guess, A, my question is, do you ever have to kind of grapple with that sort of writer's block? And then B, how do you generally work through it, given that you've kind of set this standard for yourself of writing so much so often? Well, I think it goes back to the working on multiple stories at once. If I'm stuck at one story, then I can move to another one. I've taken the practice of writing an outline for my stories. The way my mind works is that if I know what I'm doing, I tend to be better at doing it. If I have clear instruction, I'm very good at achieving tasks. So if I, for example, I'm going to take the werewolf story I wrote yesterday because I know it's a friend of mine and I, like it's a client that I have quite often. And I'm going to make him listen to the episode, so he'll definitely hear this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I support it. Shout out to Tyrick. Um, but, like, I know he likes, like, American Werewolf in London-style pain into pleasure. So I know what he likes. I'm able to outline it. I'm able to... And and it's it's kind of the, the theme of writing anatomical TFs and or erotica. People tend to want a very specific thing and they want more of that specific thing. So while the scenarios are different, largely the end result is the same. And I'm able to outline that in various steps to get to the end point, because I know what that end point will be. And that's generally what the clients want, especially with erotica. Like you're into a certain thing. You want that, but in like a slightly different package, like you don't want, like, for example, I'll just use werewolf, tf as an example but like like you'll you want a werewolf tf you'll eventually you know you'll want those painful changes and then you'll want pleasure and then you'll want orgasm you'll want you know you'll want either fucking or like masturbation or, or whatever the particular when you read another werewolf story you're going to be looking for those triggers that turn you on and they are going to be similar triggers 
but you're not going to go to the same story generally you're not going to go to the same story over and over and over and it gets boring so you want that sort of and and i'm guilty of it well it's not guilt it's just it's human nature i think largely but uh like i'll read other people's stories like for donkey transformation for example and i want the same things in those stories but i want like a new story that's a different scenario with different people but hits those same points so it becomes formulaic but i don't want to use formulaic in a negative context which it normally would be uh i love formulas yeah, they they can be so helpful. You put one thing in and you know what you're going to get exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. I love knowing what I'm doing. I love knowing that what I'm doing will please my client and my uh my fan base. And I absolutely love like knowing that like this is what people want. I love knowing how to do that and I love just going through and powering through it. Like that's like, that's just part of my process, and that's what really brings me joy. Honestly, that whole formula thing, to me, that's like, ah, oh, yes, that's the STEM degree talking right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, yeah, I'm sure it's definitely the same for your work as well. Like, absolutely. No, it definitely is. And, you know, I, I will say, uh, on the topic of going back to stories, and I'm, I'm going to show my ass a little bit to the chat here, you know, like, there is a particular genre of story that I really like around, like, mannequin TFs. And I go back to the same ones every time um, because they just do that specific something and it doesn't matter that I'm reading the same thing all the time. So I, I say this to say, you know, you never know when sometimes when you write a story, it might be that, uh, you know, old faithful that specific people will just go back to over and over again because they like it so much because it spoke to them. I, I do the same. I'll go back to certain stories that really do it for me. But, like, if those writers were pro prolific and they wrote another story that was, like, in that same vein, I would be all over that. Oh, yeah. 100%. I definitely agree there. So then, you know, you, we kind of talked about the writer's block. You mentioned you're trying to avoid burnout. Have you had to deal with burnout before? And if so, like, how did you get yourself out of that pit of, like, just being completely burned out? Uh, it involves lying in bed for, like, 24 hours and just crying myself to sleep. <laughs> That's a, that's a mood that's a mood <laughs> no but uh i i generally try to avoid that because that's kind of like the worst case scenario and i don't want to be in that mindset but uh i am working it is a work in progress because i'm really bad at self-care but like taking a few days off and i have the luxury like i absolutely do even though i never take days off i schedule myself to do the, the sort of like Western European model where it's like you take six weeks off a year. So I try to like work on that model because I, I think that is fair and reasonable in a society where you treat human beings like human beings. And unfortunately, North America, we don't do that. No, we don't. <laughs> we really don't. Yeah. But uh, I, I think like a lot of like like the Western Europe countries do have that model where you pay your employees a living wage and also give them like six weeks of vacation. So they can, like, travel, they can go to cottages. So, like, for me, I, because my boyfriend lives in the U.S., I go see my boyfriend or have him come up here. So, like, I'll I'll take, like, four weeks a year to see him. We do, like, to make it worthwhile, we do, like, two weeks at a time. Like, it's just, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, like, I'll take a week off for my birthday and I'll take a week off for Christmas because that's a, that's a big one for me. But... I'm still kind of bad because I'll still like, oh, if I'm traveling to see the boyfriend, oh, I have a like an eight hour 
flight period with, yeah, so I'll be sitting on the phone and writing and I shouldn't be doing that. Or, oh, the boyfriend's got to go do something. I'll like, oh, I have like half an hour. I'm going to edit a few pages of a story. That efficiency bug. <laughs> I know. And that goes back to the childhood trauma. <laughs> Never doing enough. But uh, I, I am, it is a work in progress. Uh, I am like trying to, if like a something that comes out that really attracts my interest, like a new video game or like a new, a new card game set that I want to test for like one of my TCGs, I try to let myself get into that if I'm really feeling it and allow myself that, that break. Because when I do go back to writing, I'm refreshed. Because, like, when when you're trying to write and there's something else on your mind, like, you're just, you're not, like, if you're, like, really, okay, I need to, like, get through this so I can do fun thing. I'm in a position where I can just do fun thing. And I'm trying to allow myself to do fun thing when fun thing comes up. And, and that helps refresh me as well. So, as to prevent burnout. That makes sense to me. And then, you know, in terms of potential like tips or advice for any writers who are trying to go full-time like how would you suggest they try to hone their writing process for efficiency without having childhood trauma like is there a way to <laughs> is there a way to be efficient <laughs> without that so i, I kind of touched on this in in like sort of my um my getting into tf but like you want to start out by writing what you love like, I, for example, found that niche of straight to gay that I didn't see enough, and I wanted to write more of it. So if you're looking at, like, like my writing or, or some of the other writers that are prolific in there, can I just take an aside and say that there are just not enough TF writers? Yes, please, preach. It's true. I cannot, like, as much as, you know, I love money and patrons and people supporting me, I cannot keep up with the demand. Um, I think there's only one or two other writers who who write TF full time. I think Kate Marquette does it. Kate Kate Marquette does. Uh, I I love her work. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, shout out to Kate Marquette if she listens to it. You know, maybe maybe we could chat sometime. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but I think like she's the only one that I know does it as a business. Like there there are just not and like she's never able to take commissions because she's got her Patreon going and. Like, I'm always closed for commissions. Like, I'm way behind because I say I, I have a bad habit of saying yes to everybody. Yeah, I feel that. So I want to get, like, I want to write all these commissions. And then I've got, like, friends that I want to do trades with. Like, Travis is one because he does amazing photo manips. So it's like, yeah, and, and we've known each other for a while. He's, like, one of the earliest people to commission me. Um, So, like, I want to do trades with him. And I know he's super busy with work. But again, we, we communicate and... I love doing like trades with people. Um, uh, AJ is another one who, whom you know, who I'm working with uh, trades on. And I want to do all these trades with people. And I've also got proofreaders that want to work for trades. Ah, I see. And I've got all of those people. And then I've got my commissions. And I'm like, I, I've said yes to too many people. So I guess the long story short, I'm never able to open. Or I'm like able to open at like certain periods and I fill up immediately. There just aren't enough TF writers. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that this is something I've noticed as well, just in terms of, you know, making this podcast, like in our, our first season, we had like two writers on and I've definitely tried to put more of a focus on having people who do TF writing this season because I hope that some people will take that 
uh, you know, the words of these TF writers to heart and be like, oh, maybe I can produce my own content too. Because I agree, I think there's just kind of a dearth of people who do it full time, and even to some degree, people who just do it for fun, you know, like, there's plenty of people who do do TF writing, and it's not their full time job, and they do put out some amazing stuff, but they're not able to do it more frequently. And there is something to be said about the written word. And there are things that you can do within that medium that you can't do from an art perspective, be it digital, traditional, or like photo manipulation. So I also wish there were more TF writers out there. And I hope that if there are any that are interested, they can take some of this advice to account. Because I think that, again, there is an opportunity there's definitely a niche there for people to do it. And if you can hone your skills and build an audience, like to be frank, like there's money to be made there. So, you know, (laughs) before I give the formulaic advice, I just want to say that I feel extremely blessed that I'm able to do it full time. Like I am so thankful for the support. There are people who like throw so much money at me and they don't want anything in return. They just want to see me succeed. And I am so thankful to the point I'm actually kind of tearing up. I just, I'm so thankful to those people who support me and who want to see me succeed. And without them, I wouldn't be able to do this. And I just want to thank people. Like the fact that I'm able to do this full time is because of the support that I get. And it's something I do not take for granted. But for people who are interested in getting into it, like I have kind of alluded to before, look at what's there for writing and write what you feel is missing. Write what you're looking for that you're not quite getting enough of and start there and write a few stories, post them, and then see who looks at them. See who reads them. Uh, you had a, I think it was Kieran, um, talking about networking. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, networking, like when people read your stories and give you feedback, respond to them, thank them. If people give shouts on your wall, say, hey, thanks for the shout. If people watch you, I, I try not to be too obsessive because some people don't like shouts on their wall. Like, obviously, if somebody like likes all of your work, don't give them a shout every time. I've moved to if somebody watches me, I thank them for the watch. I don't thank them for each fave because it's like, yeah, because that gets a little bit redundant and people don't necessarily want that. But hey, if people are going to watch me, I'll be like, I'll thank them. I'll extend the olive branch, not the olive branch, but like I'll, I'll extend the, the invitation. Because I'll, yeah, that's a wrong analogy. But uh, I'll send the, <laughs> yeah, that's a totally different. But I will, like, leave that opening if they want to, like, communicate with me. Uh, when I was starting out, eventually people started giving requests. And I'm like, I'll do the requests. I'll do, I'll put out as much content as I can, as I'm able. Because I was, I was working full-time when I started. But yeah, like, I, I got some requests i did the request for people eventually you'll get the one person that'll offer money for what you're doing yes yeah i find the worst part about being a full-time writer is what to charge people yeah it's the eternal question i like i know i need to up my prices because my prices are really low and have been for a while but like i don't want to like be like oh surprise guys price increase i want to be like hey at this period you know when commissions come out i will need to increase but like at the same time it's like it's really hard to know what to charge because nobody charges what they're worth yeah everybody undersells themselves this is true i will just say on that point you know it is a struggle but people really should charge what they're worth to the extent that they feel comfortable doing so and I I know that might sound a little bit wishy-washy, but like people should 
feel like they can charge what they're worth because so much time and effort can go into creating some of these pieces of work on the back end and you know people deserve to make a living wage and you know at the end of the day our content is in essence you know to some degree it is a luxury and so it should be like charged as such now obviously you know when you are doing it for your full-time business model i recognize that's not necessarily the approach you want to take but i will say that you know I have found in the past that people are pretty understanding about pricing increases. I know that for the longest time, I didn't increase mine. And then like, at one point, I started doing it like by $5 increments. And then in the past year, I was like, no, like inflation's crazy. And also, I should be charging more. So, you know, like, no matter what the reason is, everyone deserves to charge what their worth work is worth. And I think that generally people are understanding of that. Um, you might have changes in like who the specific clientele is because of that, but generally there are clienteles at every price point within reason. Yeah, so. no, exactly. I like like my Patreon. I like where I'm at with it because it's. I feel it's like more accessible for the amount of work that I put into. It's more accessible. And again, people can people can disagree, and that's okay. Like people might want lower prices, but. At the same point, like I, the content that I make available, I would rather have more people in my patron, in my patronage than have less people that are paying me more. I would rather more people see the content. So I would rather have the price point of entry be a little bit lower so I can build that community. And I finally got my Discord going like a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I took forever to get that set up. Um, I feel that. <laughs> and I, I started doing writing streams too. And they mostly end up uh, me, for me writing 20 minutes and then drinking and then drunkenly chatting with the few like four or five people that are in my <laughs> in my chat. But I mean, I'm still building community. It's still technically work. Yeah. No, I support that. Yeah. But anyway, I went on a tangent about pricing. But yeah, no, it's even if you're like lowballing yourself, and which you shouldn't do. But yeah, like just building your portfolio, like putting out as much content as you're able to. And I was lucky. Like again, I, I, I'm so thankful for the support, but I was also on disability for a while for my anxiety, depression, and I had that fallback. Yes. Yeah. So I, if I didn't do well in writing a particular month i was still getting income and now i'm at the point where i don't need disability money because i make more than what disability is eligible to give me which was a goal of mine and i'm so thankful to have reached that goal but yeah i guess again a tangent but uh, just being able to put out as much as you're comfortable with writing what you know you feel is missing somebody will find you somebody will want to give you money keep working at it patience diligence yeah that's essentially that's that's what i have that's the advice i have to give awesome no i think it's i think it's really beneficial and helpful so i appreciate that so then my last kind of question and this kind of relates to what we we're just talking about before we go to audience questions you know we've talked a little bit about new writers trying to find like you know the content that they feel isn't being met are there any scenarios in particular that you love but feel like don't get enough attention within the written sphere? I, I would say the straight to gay doesn't get as much. It's gotten more attention now. Like there are a ton of amazing werewolf TF writers out there, like male male writers out there now. But that I they may have been there when I was first getting into it, but I couldn't find them. 
but like now there's like there's there's tons of really good ones out there um but again it's more people don't have the time to put because people are doing it uh, if people are doing it as a hobby they might not have enough time to uh output that material so i think i think there's a ton of amazing writers out there who are certainly worthy of recognition who aren't able to put that content out as much as their fan base might like, or as much as they might like, because I know like you, you've talked to other um, like photo manipulators, for example, uh, like Travis and um, uh, Toledo. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I just listened to that episode, um, but like, they're not able to given, given life stuff. And which again, is a shame, but also life happens. Yeah, of course. But again, again, I'm I'm digressing a little bit. So it's really hard to say what scenarios I wish to see more of because there are people out there who write those scenarios. They aren't able to do more. The creativity is there. The want is there. The desire is there. The time and energy is not. No, I feel that. And I think that's a very even-keeled and respectful answer. So I, I appreciate that. So then, you know, we have a few audience questions. And the first one I'm really glad was asked for this episode because I feel like I have the best person to maybe answer it. So we have a question from Charles Seidel. And he says, do you have any writing advice for post-TF scenarios? Absolutely. Um, Research, first of all. So it depends on the scenario, obviously, because if you're doing a TF into like, Again, I apologize. I know you're a huge fan of inanimate, like pool toy, um, that sort of thing. I have been jokingly called pool toy Jesus, so yeah. <laughs> that is not something I have. I've thought about it, but I haven't actually written any of it. Uh-huh. So I'm looking very much looking at this question as a sphere of like an- anthro and animal TF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe maybe your answer will involve like inanimate and it will. And pool to- okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> It's not that I dislike the topic. I No, no, I get that. Yeah, it's like if I were to do it, I would look at it from like a body horror aspect. Of course. Yeah, although you're um and in season 1, um there were there was a lot of interest of like, "Oh, I'm this I'm going to be a fursuit. This is my purpose. I have a sense of purpose." And like that that sort of logic of appeal made sense. But anyway, I will actually answer the question now. So looking at the lens from like an anthro TF, you have a lot of leeway into how that life will lead, like how much of your body is actually animal physiology and how much is still human. Like you have because, well, I mean, TF is obviously a a fictional thing, unfortunately, sad face. Um, Sad face. (laughs) but, uh, But you have more leeway in terms of like how much of the animal that you're turning into applies to your situation but it's it's certainly food for thought like it's like for example if i'm going to turn into an anthro horse how much of my diet needs to be a vegetarian um how much am i still able to eat meat right how much of my how much has my internal anatomy really changed and you have that leeway to think about those things like how many times do i need to eat a day uh how is my energy like how much stronger am i than my human self and and again, it depends too on your scenario. Are anthropomorphic animals prominent in society? If I'm turning into an anthropomorphic animal, uh, how many other people are anthros? And I, I tackled this with uh, a series that I did uh, 
this like animal protein shakes. And unfortunately, I relegated those to Patreon because they weren't. I I try to balance my Patreon between stories that I've written for myself and stories that I've written for others. Like everybody, anything anybody has given me the scent to is available to the public. But anything that is like my own idea, I might have. I might have put it on the Patreon, which which I think is, and with the amount of content that I've done, I think that's that's very fair. Yeah, yeah. But like, anyway, the protein shake story was one that I had removed, and some people might be familiar with it. And I, I'll I'll put back probably the preview at some point. I just need to get it edited and redone. It's it's on the list. There's a list. Did I mention the thir- the forty tabs that I have open at all times? I did mention that. You didn't, but also I'm the same way. I have like 40 tabs and I have like three windows and I'm just like, help me. But also I refuse to close them because I might need them. So. That's, yeah, that's that's how I roll. That's how I roll with, with writing. I have everything open at all times. But yeah, like thinking it, it, it with Anthro TFs, it really depends on your world building. Um, and thinking about your world building, I think is the first step to that. Uh, to thinking about post-TF. It's a little bit different if you're an animal, I think. Um, Knowing that animal's habits, knowing what they eat, how they interact with other members of their species, anatomy and physiology, and comparing that to the same functions in humans. Like, I'll lead to... um, I'm sorry, I don't remember the guess that you had, the the veterinarian expert. Oh, uh, Curious Fox or, or Cameron. Yes, um they they had some wonderful points um but like for example like horses have a big cecum so they're a bit more gassy thinking about like anatomical stuff like that like how would that be compared to your human existence yeah i use that one too much <laughs> i just that stuck out in my mind for some reason it, it's it's very striking i think so it, it certainly was because it's like you're thinking about the impossibility of actual tf but you know we won't talk about that <laughs> we'll just pre- yeah we'll pretend it's possible but but yeah like looking at the various aspects of the animal and comparing them to those similar functions and similar things within your own life is kind of how i approach it and like how would i feel if i were a horse if i had eat all day if i didn't have hands and just felt the ground under my hooves vaguely um because i don't have hands that's one way that i interact with the world that i wouldn't have as a horse um yeah so i try to like i try to compare and contrast and do my research on the end i will chime in on the inanimate and kind of gender change lens and again i'm not a writer well not anymore so i you know take all my advice with a grain of salt because i don't do this for a living or anything but um when it comes to inanimate i generally find that there is actually quite a bit that can be mined from the post tf scenarios in particular one of the things that i find that can be really explored within inanimate tf is the gradual mental shift between you know, being a total 100% human to having the mindset of an object to some degree. And again, this is all like, you know, my kind of personal preference. But I find that when you're thinking about writing those kinds of post-TF scenarios, a big focus has to be on how that object interacts with the rest of the world on a day-to-day basis. So to use an example, like if you were writing a mannequin TF, you'd want to be thinking about, okay, you know, the, the cycle of the day would be like, you know, they get 
an outfit put on them they're displayed in a certain area they might get taken to the back to get like you know taken apart and like cleaned and stuff and like you have to think about all of those things and then you know if you're trying to be spicy like how or how would that play into like a sense of like feeling like you're fulfilling a purpose or you know like what is the purpose of the object you're writing about and therefore when it's doing that purpose how does that make the person who is you know, in the process of doing that purpose now, make them feel. Oftentimes, to make it appealing, they might like it. There might be a different angle where you're horrified. Um, how much of you is still left when you're in this kind of objective form? All of those things, I think, can be explored in a really unique way in post-TF. And so I would think about those things before I start writing the actual scenario. From the gender lens, I do want to mention one thing. I generally find that gender tf is often in these cases combined with something else so often it's combined with an animal and i would just encourage that people not always boil it down to a bioessentialist lens because uh, there's a place for that and it can be quite hot i've enjoyed it myself too but i would also encourage people to think about it from a social contract perspective because if for example you're becoming an anthro like you know how is that person now going to interact with society now that they're in a different gender like yes describe the parts changing and all of that good stuff but more importantly how do they go about their lives like how do they navigate the relationships they once had or the new ones that they are building i think those are things that are really important to think about and not just simply boil boil it down to like you know parts are changing from one thing to the other when you're thinking about post tf so that would just be my two cents and again i'm not a writer so take it or leave it i got called out on that that very thing uh I it was a it was a recent um and I guess shout out if the person li is listening but I got called out on I did a uh, Bernie's Mountain Dog TF recently where it was an an MTF and the person who was commissioning wanted the character to be in heat and the the people's friends turned themselves into male Bernies and orgies ensue but I got called out for the trope the 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 person who called me out was like they really didn't like that particular trope and I mean I guess. Part of me is like, well, if you don't like the trope, don't read it. But also you made a really good point there where thinking about, and, and it's something I haven't really explored with my writing because I tend not to do a gender TF in terms of like anthro or in terms of like just straight up gender TF. Um, it would be something to think about. Um, absolutely. And it, it's certainly something to explore. And like I've talked to enough opposite gender or in between gender people to know that like I, I could use them as resources to make sure that what I was writing was a, a good example of their own experiences. But, uh, but yeah, that is something I have not really explored yet, which is something that, that could be definitely explored. And, and yeah, you, you just make a good point. There are so many social aspects to consider in terms of, you know, how do my relationships change? How do other people view me? Um, there's, for example, like with MTF, there's a lot of sexism. Yes, there is. With uh, a sort of like a mid-gender or non-binary change, there's a lot of societal feedback, unfortunately, with that. So like those are things that could definitely be considered as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'll drop one hot take before we move to the next question. And anyone is free to debate me on this, but inanimate TF is whatever gender you are before to not having a gender. And that's my hot take. So all inanimate TF is in some way a non-binary TF. Anyways, uh, I will not be explaining myself further. You can debate me. Um... (laughs) I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think that's just like, I think that's very accurate. I mean, but somebody else might find it a hot take for sure. Yeah. But but yeah, no, that's a definitely a facet to look at it through like it's yeah no that's uh that's a really good point thank you yeah that's how i think of it yeah i don't disagree <laughs> excellent um so we have another question from figer fire and figer fire asks what little things do you do that are inspired by your love of tf so for example some have talked about their jobs being inspired by it or their mannerisms or just choices in attire um i'll answer this first i wear tails all the time like in public and around wherever I'm going to the store, I'm wearing a tail. I don't give a shit what anyone <laughs> says. I think that's inspired by my love of TF, and my life is better off for it. But beyond that, also, I would just say that, you know, like even subtle decor chain uh, selections in my place are like nods to TF. Like I have TF art that I've framed and will like have out because, again, it's, it's the little things that spice things up in life, um, whether it's my you know, my phone background or my desktop background or what have you, you know, there are ways in which you can integrate it into your life on a daily basis. Some bigger, like wearing a tail or some smaller ones, like the other examples. And uh, yeah, I try to, I try to keep it involved to some degree because, you know, it's an important part of who I am. And uh, I think it's uh, totally fine to explore in that way. So that's, that's me at least. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I actually don't do any of those things, but I also write TF for a living. So it's like, I get my TF fill from writing and not having, for the most part, I don't have to hide what I do from people. Uh, with family, I just say I write erotica, uh, cause like I, the family that I have don't really understand furry. And if they don't understand furry, they're not going to understand TF. Um, but like my, my sort of inner circle knows what I do. Uh, I guess I get a lot of my, my TF from just from writing every day. Uh, like, I, I do see the appeal of wearing a tail, um, I do have a lot of, like, furry-related clothing, like, shirts, uh, like, I play a lot of TCGs, I tend to play a lot of, like, either furry or furry-adjacent decks, like, so I, I play my decks based on aesthetics more so than I do competitiveness, although I am very competitive, uh, with my TCGs, I, I do try to take the decks that I like and make them the best they can be and play them the best I can. And that is my enjoyment when it comes to card games, as opposed to like taking the best quote unquote meta deck. And, and these might be terms for people who aren't familiar with TCGs, although it, the, the context applies to like various like video games and, and other sort of competitive, uh, like board games and like other sort of competitive gaming. Um, but yeah, I, I try to appeal to that aesthetic when I can. And I guess that's really it. Like, I'll wear my tail at Furcons. I love wearing a tail, but I don't, I don't generally do that on a, like, on a regular basis. But I'm also in a smaller city and people, like, people point and laugh. Whereas, like, if you're in a bigger city, then people are just like, oh, you know, that's not the weirdest thing I saw today is somebody going with a tail. 
Yeah, I I mean, look, I, I live in the biggest city in Canada, and there are far stranger things you will see downtown than me wearing a tail. So I think it's almost a, a source of reprieve and uh, joy for some people to see. So like, totally different context. No, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. But but I totally agree with you just as a final point to the question. Uh, finding something that makes you happy. And if you love TF and you find some aspect that you're able to express that love of TF, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Life is... Uh, Life's too short. Life is too short. Make life worth living for you. Yeah. Agreed. And then um, we have a last question from our illustrious Ulysses Duckler. And um, he writes, if humanity made contact with aliens tomorrow, would drawing or writing human to alien TF content become problematic or diplomatic? And would you be offended if the aliens never produced any alien to human TF content of their own? <laughs> I have a lot to say about this surprisingly um let we're making a lot of assumptions here first of all we're making the assumptions that the aliens coming aren't here to kill us or take all our resources um which is the more likely scenario if aliens are doing interstellar traffic travel um they're not here to bang us what are you talking about I wish <laughs> um <laughs> assuming Okay, so we're making a lot of assumptions here in order to possibly answer the question. We're making the assumption that the aliens are enough like us that they have the same sort of cultural values that we do, the same sort of innovations that we do, the same sort of morals. They might not even know what drawing or writing is. Exactly. Like, we have to assume they're human adjacent enough. And within that assumption, there's going to be quote-unquote deviants who would be like, into the possibility of tf even if it's occurred to them like it might not be something that has occurred to them or depending again we're making a lot of assumptions here if the aliens are like us that they go through a life cycle where they age and change um like the concept of tf might not exist to them so assuming it does then much like our own society we're going to see the same uh, representation of creativity whereas a few aliens would be like hey the idea of people turning into us is hot or vice versa where they're like hey turning into a human is hot although i can't fathom why any species yeah i don't know into a I, human. <laughs> I would genuinely not be offended if they ever produced i know right fully see the appeal but yeah. anyways <laughs> but uh but yeah i guess I guess it really, you're making a ton of assumptions to be able to answer the question. And you're essentially boiling it down to, are they human enough to have that desire? And you're probably going to see the same level of, uh, and I'll call it deviancy, because it's it's against a societal norm. But uh, I, I will say that, yeah, I would assume you'd have the same level of deviancy and desire to escape one's physical form as you would within our own society. I agree. I honestly don't have anything unique to add on to that answer. I completely agree, and I'm of the same mind. And yeah, I just I would not be offended if they didn't produce that kind of alien to human TF content if they were of a similar like level in terms of those societal norms. So I would definitely want to, you know, the same as like when a new Pokemon game comes out and everybody's TFing into the Pokemon. If if we had an alien race, I would absolutely expect that TF fans would immediately do art like within within an hour or two 
yes the same as like, <laughs> like when we get a new runs. pokemon release yeah yeah the speed runs after the live streams are the yeah next. yeah oh my God. they are they are a thing of beauty <laughs> they, the, are. Those, they are those uh those people are truly doing the lord's work yeah bless those people oh my god amazing well that was all the questions i had for you um i really appreciate you coming on it's been really great chatting with you and um i was curious to know like where can people find you online if they want to read more of your amazing stories uh so i'm on fa at uh, gabriel moon um my patreon is patreon.com slash gabe moon uh my twitter is at gabe moon uh, I have my own website, which is gabrielmoon.ca, um, which, again, is something that I was very fortunate to, and again, this comes comes from a past podcast, uh, or a past episode, but I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to get a website super cheap and have somebody help me design it, um, although that person is a little bit sus and has fallen off the face of the earth. And I can say that because they've fallen off the face of the earth. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I would not normally say that if they had not fallen off the face of the earth, but, uh, (laughs) but Hey, I I have a monthly subscription fee and I pay it and my website's up. So that's all that really matters, but I have a website um, and this is gabrielmoon.ca. I'm sure you'll post the links in the show notes. Yes, and and shout out to that glorious .ca domain at the end. Got to give that Canadian rep. So exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that's for the most part. I'm also on SoFurry, but I don't post there as frequently. But uh, yeah, I think for the most part, that's where you can find me. Well, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciated chatting with you about all of this and kind of getting to pick your brain on some of these topics because I think that you explore them in a really cool way in your stories and. Yeah, I just think I think there's a lot that I think the audience will enjoy hearing about. So yeah, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I was really, really honored when you asked me to come on. And I'm I've had a great time chatting with you as well. Amazing. I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the TF Tuesday podcast. Again, remember, you can leave questions under the comments in the YouTube video or tweet at us with the hashtag TF Tuesday pod to tweet questions at us. We add questions at the end of every segment. And as always, um, if there was something that sparked a thought in your mind or you do want to debate me on my hot take, please leave a comment and let me know. I am always excited to hear about feedback. But in the meantime, I hope everyone is staying hydrated, staying safe, keeping an open mind, and staying TFE. So thanks so much, everyone, and have a great day. Bye.